Hello, everybody, and welcome to another beautiful Thursday morning. You're listening to Bhavani at IE Green on the Progressive Radio Network. And I have big news for all of you today. This is actually going to be my last show for the summer. I'm taking the summer off to enjoy my garden and to actually help our family business move from one office and shop to another. So it's actually going to be really busy over here, and I just needed the time. So um, this is my last show, but I'm really excited. I have a great show for all of you. Donna Iyer and Missy Cipriano will be joining me. They are from the nonprofit organization Bread for Life. And I'll tell you more about that organization when they come on. But first I wanna share some things going on in the news with you, some ways you can take action. And of course, share my weekly recipe with all of you. So first, in the news, I wanted to share with you that the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, finally is getting it in their head that PFAS, P-F-A-S, known as forever chemicals, are dangerous. And we've been telling them they're very dangerous for years and years, and they have been denying it and not even paying attention. They actually haven't even looked at them since 1973. But finally, they took a look and they have said, you know, those of us that are activists and care about our food, we're right that these PFAS chemicals are super dangerous. Um, at very low levels, they are toxic and they're linked to serious health problems, including in risk, um, increased risk of cancer, harm to reproductive and immune systems, and really, really bad for children. Um, and yeah, they're just, you know, they're disruptors and they just should not be in our water. Um, these chemicals are used to make water, grease, and stain repellent coatings for vast of consumer goods and industrial applications. But of course, in the process of making them, they get washed away into our waters. And the level that is safe um, is so low that right now, that they say that over 2,000 communities have drinking water with levels higher than what the EPA is saying is safe, which means that um, you know millions of people, two, over 200 million, as a matter of fact, are drinking water that is above that safe level. So that's really, um, really serious, and you know there's nothing we really can do to avoid it other than filter our water, which we all should be doing. Um, buying, you know, even the bottled water we buy, I actually don't know if that's tested for these forever chemicals. I would assume that it is, but you want to look into that and um, do what you can to protect yourself because it's really, really important. And these uh, forever chemicals are just bad. And, you know, of course, we've been writing that, you know, many other countries, including the EU has not, has um, banned them for a long time. We just are so behind when it comes to protecting the public versus protecting corporate interest. Um, another thing I wanted to share with you for you to take action is to help um, factory, help stop factory farms from polluting our environment. Um, we all know that factory farms are horrible. 
There's 10 times more farm animals than there are humans. 70 billion farm animals are produced for food each year. And um, it's just taking up our land. Um, I think animal agriculture covers one third of the entire Earth's ice-free land surface and consumes 40 to 70% of all of the crops we produce. So instead of producing food for people, we're producing food for animals. That is actually the reason I first became a vegetarian when I was 16 years old after reading Died for a Small Planet, where Francis Moore Lappe really spelled it out that you know right now, back then, that's in the 1970s, we were growing more food for animals even back then than we were for people. And there's no reason that people should be going hungry. So, um, but meanwhile, factory farms, also known as CAFOs, confined animal feeding operations, they are just horrible. The um, waste from them is not, is not processed and does not go through any, um, any processing plant to make it safe the way human waste does. It's just builds up in these big ponds that they, um, allowed to seep into our water system and to our land and they get into the rivers and then into the oceans and it's killing wildlife and ocean life and it's just really bad and so we need to, there's a um, petition on my website to let corporations like Tyson and Smithfield know that they need to stop their activities that are polluting the waters so please sign the petition um, and let, you know, our government know that we just won't stand for this anymore. It's just terrible. We need to, you know, outlaw these CAFOs and um, go back to smaller family farms, raising more food for people than we are for animals. And now it's my pleasure to introduce to you. And I have to tell you this recipe this week is really a, a saver. This is a tofu quiche with broccoli, asparagus and shiitake mushrooms. And I've been making vegan quiche for a while now. And this is the best one yet. So this is a recipe definitely worth saving. Um, for the custard, I use tofu um, that I blend up with a little oat milk, but you could also use almond milk or soy milk. Um, and I do use a little bit of the Miyoko um, cheese. The, you know, she has a whole bunch of different cheeses that are just delicious. And the one that I use in here is um, an Herbes de Provence um, cheddar cheese. So anyway, you're going to, um, these are the ingredients you need. One prepared vegan pie shell, one tablespoon ground flaxseed, one tablespoon apple cider vinegar, one tablespoon water, one block of extra firm tofu, a quarter cup plus one tablespoon of oat milk. And like I said, you can substitute a different milk. One half teaspoon salt, one quarter teaspoon white pepper, one quarter teaspoon nutmeg, two tablespoons fresh chopped dill plus one teaspoon for garnish, two tablespoons Dijon mustard, one cup of broccoli florets cut small, one onion diced, 10 shiitake mushrooms, stems removed and then sliced, 10 stalks of asparagus sliced on the diagonal about one inch long, one half cup cherry tomatoes sliced thin, one teaspoon minced garlic, one tablespoon marin, one tablespoon tamari, and half of a, um, a circle of the Miyoko Herbes de Provence cheese. 
So you're going to start by um, softening the one tablespoon of ground flaxseed in one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar and mix that with one tablespoon water and let that sit for about 10 minutes. And in the meantime, using an immersion blender, you're going to puree the one block of tofu with um, the oat milk. And um, actually, I used a half a block of the tofu, not the whole block. So I actually buy tofu where um, it's the sprouted tofu. So they come in half blocks, you know, put together in one block, but I just opened one side of the tofu cake um, and use that. You're gonna add the salt, the pepper, nutmeg and dill and blend that well until it's really smooth and creamy. And you want it to be thicker than um, an egg mixture would be, a little bit more like a, a custard. Though, then you're gonna add the apple cider vinegar and flaxseed mixture to that. In a heavy soft sauce, saute pan, excuse me, you're gonna saute the onions until they're translucent. Add the shiitake mushrooms and the minced garlic and cook those until they're soft. Then add the broccoli and cook for a few more minutes. Then add the asparagus and just cook it just till it's cooked. You're gonna season it with the mirin and the tamari and that's gonna help steam the asparagus. And the asparagus only need a couple of minutes in there. You don't wanna overcook them. You're gonna spread the two tablespoons of mustard over the entire bottom of the pie shell. Add the Miyoko cheese, crumble that just on top of the pie shell, add the sauteed vegetables, and then pour the tofu mixture over the vegetables. Um, spread them evenly around in the pie shell and then dot the top with um, those sliced tomatoes. And I actually pulled out a few pieces of the tofu and asparagus to put on top too, just to make it look a little prettier and sprinkled it with a teaspoon of dill. I baked it for 15 minutes at 425 to just get the um, crust golden. And then I reduced the temperature to 375 and baked it for another 30 minutes. And I have to tell you, it came out so great. It came out so great. So I hope you make it. And um, I love feedback. So let me know how you liked it and um, share that info with me. Um, it, it's just so wonderful. I mean, brunch is just such an American uh, weekend tradition. And it's really nice to be able to make something ahead of time that will blend in with the other people and what they're eating. And so, you know, I make quiche for my guests all the time. And this is really nice to be able to have a vegan quiche that is just as good, or I actually think almost better. So anyway, it is now my pleasure to introduce to all of you, Donna Iyer and Missy Cipriano. They are, um, they both work at Bread for Life, which is a nonprofit organization in Southington, um, Connecticut. And Donna is the director of the organization and Missy is the director of operations and volunteer services. And Donna, um, you know, her, her bio is, you know, really just beautiful. She's just feels privileged to serve alongside so many amazing volunteers and work in this organization. And, um, and Missy as well has been working there for a long time. And um, she quotes the wise words of Mother Teresa, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And that's a guiding principle for her. I'm sure it is for Donna. It is for me. It's a great, great um, thing to live by. So welcome, Donna and Missy. Thanks very much for having us, Bhavani. We're um, thrilled to be here. Good morning. Good morning. 
So I thought maybe you could first start by just telling us a little bit about your organization. Either one of you want to take that on. And then I would like to know from each of you how you found your way there, how you got involved in this work. Great, great. Well, um, as you mentioned, um, Bhavani, we are a um, not-for-profit agency. We're located really in the center of central Connecticut um, in um, a town called Southington. And um, our um, organization, Bread for Life, has been in the community since 1984. And um, our work centers around meeting the food insecurity needs in our community, um, which has a broad base to that, but that's essentially what our, our work focuses on around a soup kitchen that we have here. Um, the one unique and special thing about Bread for Life is that we are, um, we receive no state and no federal money. We are proudly supported by our own community. Um, so essentially it is neighbors helping neighbors. Um, can I ask you, can I interrupt for a minute? Why is that? Do you, you don't apply for any grants? We you wouldn't qualify. Choice? We wouldn't qualify given the demographics of our community. Ah. But it is interesting while that's just on paper, um, we know and anybody else um, with awareness and certainly because of the pandemic this has been brought to light, um, we all know that hunger has no zip code. So while certain areas may demographically not qualify for state or federal funding, um, there still are needs. And we understand that hunger has no zip code. So the, the unique thing about us is that our community is supporting their neighbors in need. Um, so it truly is neighbors feeding neighbors. Um, we're the conduit of people who are able to help um, and we're we're the agency that can connect people who want to help with people who need help. Um, and that's just a, a really beautiful part of what, of our work. Lovely, lovely. And how did you get to um, this type of work? Is this what you always did? Um, or did you do something before and then it led you to this? Well, I did development work at our local YMCA. Um, and the executive director here at Bread for Life, I should mention that Bread for Life has been in existence in our community since 1984. Right. Um, and was started by a group of concerned citizens who had seen somebody um, diving in a dumpster for food um, behind a donut shop and realized that, in fact, what we know, <laughs> hunger has no zip code, that there were people hungry right in their own community and they gathered very grassroots um, to do something about that. And the first day they opened a soup kitchen in um, a church in town, they had 12 people come. So it just shows that the need was there from the very beginning, you know, 38 years ago when um, our program was started. Um, so being in the community, of course, Bread for Life, you know, was on my radar. We, you know, supported the efforts here and, and loved the work that they did. I was doing development at the YMCA in the same community, and the executive director here was retiring. And um, so it just gave me an opportunity um, to, to move into this role. Personally, I was, ex we were experiencing the empty nest at home and I had some more time to devote um, to this uh, new opportunity. So, um, you know, I just really have the heart to serve and um, this just was a great fit for me. 
And I was very fortunate when I was thinking about making this change um, to be working um, alongside Missy at the YMCA and um, knew her heart and her passion and her involvement at Bread for Life. Um, so I was very fortunate that the two of us were able to um, come in to this organization at the same time five and a half years ago. Ah, uh-huh. And Missy, what was your experience prior to coming to Bread for Life? I was a homeschool mom for a number of years. So um, Maya, when I met Donna, I started working at the YMCA. My family was attending YMCA. So I was part-time at the YMCA and still homeschooling my children at the time. So um, I left the workforce when they were born and you know, devoted my time to our community in different ways and to my family. Uh, and instilling that in them. And that's why I was involved in Bread for Life because my kids were involved. You know, it was a way to bring them into service in their community, serve their community. And uh, that's how I knew about Bread for Life. And I got to know Donna through the YMCA. So that's, um, and it came together beautifully. And it really was uh, definitely a God given opportunity that uh, Donna asked me to partner with her. And uh, they brought us both in. It's great. Lovely. Lovely. So um, I know you have so many different programs at Bread for Life. Can you tell us about them? Oh, yes. Our programs at Bread for Life are, you know, we, we have a great opportunity. I don't know, the soup kitchens are different everywhere, but where we stand, we serve everyone between the ages of zero all the way to 100. And so our programs at Bread for Life are developed to make sure that no one goes hungry. It's not about um, just your financial status or your age. So right now we, we do serve our main course is our, our soup kitchen, our program in the soup kitchens that we serve Monday through Friday. Is that those, still at the church or do you have your own space now? We have a beautiful space that um, we were brought into five and a half years ago, right down it's five and a half years now <laughs> that we've been in our own self-sustaining um, self building um, right in the center of town. Lovely. Yeah, so they come in and eat here at a lunch, a great lunch meal. We've adapted and overcome throughout COVID and was able, we were never closed, which was great. We do a home delivery service as well to our seniors and those and our housing development that are homebound. They cannot get out of their house to come to the kitchen to get food. And so we deliver those meals to them as well. Those meals are all delivered for free. We do not charge. And as Donna just told you that um, all of the monies that we receive are from local support businesses and individuals and grant writing that help us sustain and be able to provide the amount of meals we do. We also have a program um, for our schools called a Fuel for School. That is something as we've learned, again, these students may leave their house too early, don't grab a good breakfast, and they're crashing at a certain point. The school was no longer permitted, the nurses or teachers permitted to house little snacks to give to the students any longer. Um, so we were uh, gracious enough to be able to provide small water bottles, pretzels, uh, really small snacks to get them over the next hump before lunch to keep those students alive and alert so they can learn well. The other program that we have currently, we do a summer lunch program. Another program that has been going on since I do believe the onslaught of Bread for Life, we are serving three local camps for those who scholarship in. We help with the reduced lunch program here in town during the summer where students are not receiving lunch. And we uh, offer 
takeaway lunches at one of our local schools where parents drive up and they're able to pick a bag of lunch up for their one child or five children. And that is also a free service and program we're offering to all of our children in our school districts. Wow. Right. Do you have any idea how many um, people come to your program? Like how many meals do you serve in a day or a week or? So last year we did over 31,000 meals last year. That's our total for last year. All together, all encompassing and with everything that I mentioned. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. And most of your employees are volunteers or do you have a paid staff? Yeah, we do have, most of our employees are volunteer. We have paid staff. There are six of us, I do believe, two, four, six of us that are paid staff here at Bread for Life. And every, uh, we rely heavily on our volunteers in every aspect of what we do. We couldn't do any of the work without them. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful to, you know, to also provide the opportunity for people to volunteer because um, as you said, you know, when we do good and we go out there and help others, it also makes us feel good. So absolutely, um, it's good. For, it's good for everybody. So um, the fuels for school program you have, um, I'm confused by that because I thought schools were allowed to give out, you know, snacks. No, I'm gonna have Donna take that one. Yeah. So what was happening is. Um, the school nurse was concerned about children with allergies in our community. And so she wanted some standardized snacks available. Um, and we were able to partner with our board of education to provide those. So rather than the focus being on guidance counselors or teachers to have to take, you know, money out on their own to provide that. Um, we were able to provide that. We, so we give boxes to the schools and any adult in the school can give the, the approved by the school district snacks and mini water bottles to any student in who's hungry. No questions asked, no qualifications needed. We know that young people who are not hungry learn better and behave better. So if we Absolutely. can help them, as Missy said, get over that little you know, uh, time of hunger um, with these um, snacks, it, it's a win for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I know you've been working on some new programs. You wanna share those with us? We sure do. Um, if I can just, I just wanna mention a couple of things that we've been doing um, you know, kind of as our, our, when we mentioned our mission is that to ensure that no one goes hungry. But um, really the hallmarks of what we're doing here is um, a lot around hospitality and we serve a delicious and nutritious meal. Uh, you know, Missy mentioned, you asked about our space. We have a beautiful location. It's a house essentially um, that's, um, that houses our soup kitchen. And um, we really work with intentionality. Um, in the work that we do, it's very easy for a um, soup kitchen or a Meals on Wheels facility to just count the number of meals served. And while it is impressive, as you said, that we served 31,000 meals last year, not counting in another um, close to 4,000 that we did for our children's summer lunch program, while that's impressive, that doesn't take into account who we are serving. And that's really one thing that we've been very intentional about. Um, who 
is receiving the meals. Um, so we really encourage our volunteers to form a personal relationship with those that we serve. And um, so our soup kitchen, as so many are, is sort of a center core for social services. So we can wrap around services to people in need. Um, you know, they come here hungry for food and that's critical and we're able to meet that need. But what else do folks need? Um, do they need housing? Um, do they need connection to um, addiction services? Do they need um, summer lunch for their children? Um, you know, so, so people are coming here with a, with a whole host of needs. So really our intentionality moving forward is really helping each individual client on their personal journey. Um, so we are all about moving clients forward, however that's gonna be for their personal journey. So we've started some new initiatives um, that we're, we're very thrilled to be talking about um, in regards to helping people move forward. When Missy and I started five and a half years ago, you know, we looked out in the dining room and said, if, if all of these folks are still here when we retire, then we're probably not doing our job. And that may be a different way to look at our work, um, but we're not just about counting the numbers. Will some people still be here? Absolutely. But there are some people who, if we can give them a safety net and surround them with some skills and some people who can help them navigate some of the tricky waters that they face and some of the barriers that are part of their life, then we can help them to become the person that they want to be and to become more independent and not so reliant on a soup kitchen. And that's ultimately our goal. Right. Um, again, it's not, not everybody is going to be on that journey of not needing a soup kitchen. But for some people, um, we really hope that our intentional work will help them move forward um, so that possibly they don't need, you know, need our support in the future. Yeah. Yeah. That's so crucial. Um, I work with a food pantry down here in New York that does similar work in building those relationships, which as you mentioned, are so crucial that they're not just a number, but actually people that need help and need someone that they can trust who will you know, help them get on to some of the other programs that are available that they either don't know about or just don't know how to navigate to get. Absolutely. So you know, I great. think our, our deepest desire is to be known, right? <laughs> um, to know that we're important in this world. And so something as simple as knowing everybody's name and calling them by name when they arrive um, and when we talk to them, um, sharing a meal together. These are the things that are so important, but sometimes overlooked and are in this work and our need to help take care of people and to help feed them. Um, it's not just a plate of food. It's, it's so much more than that. Sure. Um, and it's really knowing people, knowing their name, knowing their life journey, um, talking to them about what their personal goals and aspirations are, um, and, and helping them, as I said, um, on their personal journey. Yeah. So you, you serve love with the lunch. <laughs> oh, I love that. Absolutely. Yes, right. absolutely. So, so who does your cooking? Uh, we have an executive chef. Um, who is here and he has um, some volunteers who are certified to be in the kitchen 
we um, fall under the same guidelines as any restaurant in our community. And a lot of people don't realize that, um, but not just anybody can step into the kitchen here and you know, make a meal um, because you know, we want certified people who are using good safety guidelines and temperature checking and storing food accurate, you know, sure. correctly. And so that's a big, a big part of what we are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so important. Um, you know, right now during COVID, the health department actually has suspended, you know, all of the updates with um, licensing. And I know mine expired and they're not testing it, you know, they're not renewing the licenses yet. So I have to keep checking because I know I'll, I'll fall into that thing where you know, if you don't renew within a certain amount of time, then you have to take the whole course all over again. And I just want to do the renewal and oh. they haven't opened it up yet. And, you know, if you don't go in, in that window, you could get stuck having to do the whole course mm. all over again. Yeah. You don't want to do that all over again. <laughs> we were blessed that our, we were able to renew. Don and I are also certified and we were able to renew, renew during COVID. We were able to, um, go back in and renew our certification. Oh, good. Well, I, I better check on mine <laughs> because I might be, might be cast out. Anyway, so tell us about some of the new programs that you're excited about. Sure, sure. Um, so we have started something new here um, and it's a new concept, a new model in the world of not-for-profit. And um, that is that we have begun a social enterprise and a social enterprise is a business that supports a not-for-profit. And um, so we have started one with a um, support from a local foundation. It's the Community Foundation of Greater New Britain. And they have partnered with us in this venture for five years. And we're both learning a lot as we go through this process. Um, but in starting this not-for-profit, I mean, this small business, it's a micro-enterprise really, we are um, hoping eventually after you know, the business gets going that it will be a um, revenue stream for Bread for Life. But really more important is the business provides vocational training and job opportunities for those that we serve. So oh, people that's awesome. coming to the soup kitchen can't go from not working for 25 years to even working as a dishwasher 20 hours a week in a restaurant. That jump is too big. So who better to help navigate this than, than us because we know our clients really well. We interact with them every day um, and we can help them take small steps to become um, able to one day be employed and if not at least gain a lot of opportunities along the way so we have started a um a micro enterprise um, that the funds generated by this business will eventually come back to bread for life um, as i said for the first five years we're being um, funded by a, a community foundation who believe in this concept but along the way we are providing our clients with job training with opportunities, um, learning a whole host of skills from um, point of sales, 
how to interact with customers, um, inventory, distribution, how to make products, how to store them, how to package them, how to market them, how to price them. Um, so there's a whole host of skills that our clients are learning and we can help them um, customize their job skills to what they're interested in, to their personal personality, to their capabilities, um, with the hope that as they gain more opportunities and more experience, more confidence, then they can take the skills that they've learned in our social enterprise out to other jobs. That's awesome. So has, has it actually launched yet? Yes, it has. <laughs> we have started a business. Social enterprise. Yes, we have started a business called the Southington Honey Company. Okay, and um, I looked. I tried looking them up. I couldn't find a website yet. Do you have a website yet? Not yet. Um, so where we're at is our. Um, they they are a micro enterprise of Bread for Life. We are in the middle. We're very close to a website revision. In the next month or two, it will be live, um, and it will have its own um, page within our new website. Um, so there will be opportunities um, for other people to see, you know, what we're doing. Um, right now, it's really very community based and um, really brand new. Um, tomorrow, we are having our first pop-up, um, which is exciting. Um, we've been, um, and Missy will talk a little bit more about this, we have hives on our property. Um, and this is our second season of beekeeping. Um, but our first season of um, really doing the Southington Honey Company um, full tilt. Uh-huh. How many hives do you have? We have seven. <laughs> All together, we have seven highs. We have four on our property and three on another property not far from our building. Uh huh. And do you have a a volunteer beekeeper, or you have a beekeeper? You're partnering with a beekeeper. Well, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. So we have a master beekeeper. Uh, he has been our guide and our just our just our master all the way through since we started this. And he's the one that actually connected us and had this program that really helped us birth what we're doing right now is because of our master beekeeper. He um, came in <coughs> and has been willing to guide myself and another bee mentor through the process of learning. We have two students that are going to be our student beekeepers. Um, we've had a couple come in and out. We have one and gaining another one in a couple of weeks. So they are learning the entire process of beekeeping. They are the ones in the hives, checking the hives, doing the, the extractions, doing the mite checks along with myself. Uh, we have um, expanded through our grant education. I was able to take a course in Cornell for beekeeping and our other mentor will be taking hers this fall so we can be um, educated and hopefully next year be on our own without our master beekeeper, but just on an advisory status. Mm -hmm. And so have you started bottling the honey yet? Not yet. Uh, typically, uh, honey season is really September, August, right. September. That's when that big draw comes. We are very hopeful, like 
super hopeful. I'm going to put a smile down on his face that by the middle of July, we will have an early honey season this year. It, it won't be a, it's going to be a substantial amount of honey um, for an early season. We had one hive survive last year and that hive is thriving. So it will give us an early crop which very, is very exciting for um, the work that we have ahead of us because we want to begin selling the honey. <laughs> because of everyone's course. asking. Now, when you it. say you had one, one hive survive, does that mean the other six did not survive? We only had uh, three last year. We had three or four. We had three last year. And uh -huh. we added on to sponsorships this past year to equal seven. So out of the three that were winterized, only one survived. Not sure why, but it was... Uh, it's one of those, those sad things when we're trying to, you know, keep them in a contained spot and do our best to maintain their healthiness throughout the winter. And we open it up and they did not survive. Yeah. Um, well, bee, bee collapse is not yeah. just something you're experiencing. We had, we had three beehives on our property here and, um, you know, our last season, we, we harvested 200 pounds. Amazing. Amazing. Um, that we've just been giving away and sharing with our friends and family. Um, but yeah, our hives died a couple of years ago and we you know, were taking a break. Yeah. So, so sad. You put so much time and energy into it. And it is, it is. You want to have a sad. funeral. Did you have a funeral? I mean, when I opened up the hive, I don't know about you, Bavani, and you saw just the whole bottom of the box and they were, I was like, oh no. This is yeah. awful. Yeah. What did I do? Um, so it was like losing our children. It was very sad. Yeah. Um, Missy's mantra we've all adopted is that the bees are our boss. And they really are because, you know, and that's, I think, the unique thing about beekeeping is um, it's nature. And we can't um, dictate that, right? Um, we need bees. Um, we want to continue, you know, um, continue this work, but, but really they are our bosses in this. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I know my, my husband was the main beekeeper here. I, you know, I intended to be doing it with him. That was the intention, but I really was not comfortable <laughs> even with the bee suit on, you know, having yeah. hundreds or thousands of bees all around me just did not suit me well. So I, I got into the extraction part and the bottling part and making, um, lip balm from the beeswax and doing a lot of different things with it because that's you know from the bees you can do so many other products you know um lip balm um creams all kinds of stuff with the beeswax so um yeah we'll get pretty there exciting. we'll get there that pretty is very exciting very exciting the, the i love the <laughs> aspect of the social enterprise that you can actually hire some of your clients and give them the opportunity to have a job experience that they otherwise, you know, wouldn't have a resume to qualify for a job per se, you know? And so just Absolutely. giving people that first chance is so important. It really is. And when you talk about the extraction, the part that you did with the jarring, our clients will be doing that end. So when myself and the student beekeeper and the other mentors are tending to the hives, once that honey comes out, the jarring part of the honey, it will be our clients. So they will have that experience of measurement. You know, we go back into the scientific end of beekeeping as well, right? There's a science, there's a math, there's a whole, not just agricultural part of that. And it's connection, you know, because of the necessity of bees in our community and our environment and how they produce what they do without being instructed is like a miracle. 
And yeah. then we, when we get, you know, this, this uh, liquid gold from them that we are able to jar and profit from that, you know, that whole circle of life, we always go back to that. And it's really a great opportunity for them to be part of something like this that gives them stability, you know, a sense of belonging. And as we take the Southington Honey Company down to our local farmer's market soon, they will be the ones able to share the work that they were part of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's exciting. Um, I loved learning about the bees, though, you know, how they communicate with each other, how they tell each other where the good the good juices, you know, the little bee dance that they do. And yes. it's just fascinating. fascinating. It, I agree. I, I agree. And it, again, was not on my bucket list. I tell people the story all the time. It was not on my bucket list during COVID to be a bee, become a beekeeper. Uh-huh. But it was, it was in the design plan because I really have enjoyed learning all about the bees. And yeah. um, it's a joke in my family. There's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't relate something to the bees. They're like, no, not the bees again. <laughs> you know, um, right. so- Right. So, so you're partnering with a beekeeper um, yes. or a master beekeeper and learning about bees. What about the farmers? Do you, um, do you purchase or, and have relationships with your local farmers for the food that you're feeding to your clients? Our local community is absolutely phenomenal in every respect, whether it's farmers or our local grocery stores where we receive food recovery. We have, um, Leaf, which is a local farm that's not far from one of where three of our beehives are, and he comes in often and and donates to us our seedlings that go into our common good garden that is adjacent to where the bees on our property are. So we have a farm to soup kitchen table. We go right from our garden. We just harvested some squash from our garden right outside that our chef I'm sure is preparing today or tomorrow. And so it is, the bees are helping cultivate our garden and gardens all around us. So we are very blessed to have a small garden um, for our soup kitchen. And also people like Leaf here in Southington that helps support the, the growing of our vegetables because uh-huh. of his donation. Yeah, yeah, well, you kept that a secret for me. You didn't tell me you had a garden right there. there That's awesome. It is, it is. And we have, well, well, here you go. I'll give you another secret. We have three apple trees now. Caveat, we've had these apple trees for four and a half years. They have one apple this year, but they didn't have any <laughs> apples prior to. So we're, we're moving ahead. <laughs> these are helping. Yes. I have a similar apple tree here. I okay. Think two apples from it, but yeah, yeah. Not, not the best. Um, same <laughs> with my cherry trees. My cherry trees, you know, I see the cherries out there and before, I, before they get ripe, they're all gone. You know, I, I see all the little pits hanging, hanging from the stem on the tree with no cherries left. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. So yeah, so we do. We're, we're very, very fortunate. And I, I hope before Don and I retire, we get to have a harvest of apples from our apple trees. Um, and a harvest for me would be six. <laughs> I was wondering if you could share some stories um, with me and my listeners about some of the, um, some of the stories from your clients participating in the social enterprise? Yeah, there's, you know what, there's so many stories. I'm going to share one and I'll have Donna share one. Over the last two years of us starting, uh, watching many of our clients um, begin to unfold the the depths of themselves. We've got to see them grow through this process. 
I'm going to share a more recent story because it's it just sticks out to me and it's one of our taglines as we go into this farmer market season. One of the projects that they're working on is making coasters, making resin coasters. Um, and if you know anything about resin work, which I did not prior to this, it's a multiple step. It's multiple days because of the setting and drying, um, the chemicals that you're mixing involves mask and a certain ratio and a certain time period. Um, but as they were doing it, they were going through and you get air bubbles in this resin as you pour and you have to either heat it um, to remove these air bubbles. And we're going through and sanding. And one of the gentlemen recognized that, wait a minute, this one has a lot of air bubbles and we've got to get these out of here. And the other client simply said, he goes, wait a minute, these are perfectly imperfect handmade crafts by us. And that was with pride. That was with, we've done this work and it's not perfect, but it's perfectly imperfect and it's okay. And I thought that was just amazing. I'm like, that's the tagline, write it down because that is something <coughs> that came naturally. So they are very proud of their work. Not that they didn't want to do it well, but listen, these are handmade crafts and we're learning and doing our best. And I, for me, that just warmed my heart. I was just like, that was a step to know that they're invested in this project. Uh-huh. And, and just like handmade glass, you always have those air bubbles in handmade glass and it adds character to it. Right. But what a great philosophy for us that we learned from one of our clients. We are perfectly imperfect. Yes, right. that says it all, right? Mm -hmm. That right there. Um, absolutely. Yeah, that's nice. Um, you know, I'm going to share a story, um, Bhavani. Um, you know, some one of our clients had, that is involved in this social enterprise has uh, been unemployed for 24 years um, and through a whole host of challenges in his life um, has been unemployed for 24 years. And um, through our association with him coming to the soup kitchen, uh, we've sort of you know, been able to form a relationship with him. And that's the heart of each and every story that we can share is that we have a relationship at the base of it. And, um, you know, this client looked a little scary. He had overgrown hair and an overgrown beard and, um, you know, it was a little intimidating and um, is really a softy underneath that. And we've been able to get him some haircuts and some beard trims and new clothes and really um, helped him connect with some medical services. And um, we just celebrated him being clean and sober for nine years, which is really an, a huge achievement. Um, and he's really taken an interest in this um, Southington Honey Company business. And he's very leery to jump in um, he's afraid of, um, failure. He gets anxious about this, but he's, he's helping in the ways that he can, which I think is so exciting. And, and there again, that's because we know him and we talk to him and we know, we listen to what his anxieties are and, and what frustrates him. And, and so we've built a position for him essentially, um, to have him shine and to give him a win and to give him confidence. And, um, He's really taking a leadership role in this. And, you know, some of the, because we don't have 
Honey right now. We've um, partnered with um, students at our uh, Central Connecticut State University, and they have come in with some product ideas for us to have our clients do, as Missy said, one of them um, were these coasters um, that we can sell at the farmer's market um, in addition to our honey. And um, so anyway, th these products are labor intensive. And so every day after lunch, you know, our um, ambassadors, as we call them, have to come and, you know, pour the resin and paint and, you know, do all of this packaging work. And so it's pretty funny because they said, you know, we're going to sell out of this stuff right away and we're going to have to do this every day. And I said, yeah, isn't that great that this business is giving us all something to look forward to doing each and every day? Um, and, and that's new for them. And, and Bhavani, that's not something that they've had um, because the experience of a lot of those people that we serve is that they don't, they don't have to do that. They don't have anything to look forward to. They don't have opportunities. They don't have essentially hope. And um, really what this social enterprise, what Southington Honey Company is doing is giving them um, opportunities. It's giving them connections. It's giving them skills, job opportunities, vocational opportunities, and but purpose. mainly it's giving them hope. Yeah, and purpose. Exactly. You know, everybody needs to feel like they have a purpose. Absolutely, um, couldn't agree more. Yeah, and working together with others, you know, it builds community. And, you know, in, in my work and all the things that I read, you know, you hear about people, you know, dying of all these different diseases and, you know, cancer and on and on. But so many people die from loneliness and you don't mm -hmm. even think of that, you know, mm -hmm. but loneliness, especially for people who are getting older is one of the mm -hmm. most difficult um, health conditions to solve because Absolutely. how do you find people to hang out with them? Or, you know, mm -hmm. how do you get them involved in a community if they're living alone? And so- right. mm -hmm having a place where people can feel like they're a part of and be a community. And like you said, you know, hospitality is such an mm. integral part of the work you're doing. Yes. And, um, you know, that's community. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you heard of the slow food organization, slow food movement? Slow as an S L O W food. Yeah. Slow food. No. Mm -mm, slow no. food. I, I run my local chapter down here, but Slow Food is a wonderful organization that is all about um, pe bringing people together around the table, you know, and um, promoting food that's grown in a clean, safe, um, fair environment. So it's good for the people. It's good for the planet. It's good for the laborers. Everyone's getting paid fairly. Um, but it's a great, great movement. But one of the reasons I love it so much is because of the hospitality aspect of it, the part of building community and coming together, which I think is just, you know, such a great part of the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And we will look that up. And I think, like you said, we truly believe and see it in our own lives that hunger is just not about food. You know, that is one angle, angle of it. It's many things, you know, to belong, you know, to be, you know, be part of something bigger than yourself, you know, to achieve, to accomplish, you know, to set goals. You know, we have, we all have these, these different hungers in our lives. 
And each one of them is different, but why we're able to get that hunger fulfilled or satisfied is through relationship, exactly what you were um, explaining about slow food. You know, we bind, we, you know, bond through not meals or walks and conversation, and you have to have opportunities for that to happen. And unfortunately, with the, the clientele that we deal with and many soup kitchens and organizations that um, social services, there's not a lot of opportunity to ignite these individuals to find community, to find purpose, right. to find themselves, right? Um, and that's a sad part for us is that, you know, what we're doing is not unique. I mean, across the nation, many different states are doing the same thing in different ways because we all need each other to grow. You know, yeah. like the, we know what our environment needs to be and we need other human beings to ignite us, to support us, to guide us, to correct us, to discipline us. You know, we all need that. And when you don't have it for a span of time, you lose yourself. And, and we're blessed to be able in our small little part of Southington, Connecticut, in this small Northeast region, to be able to establish something for the people that we serve. Yeah. Well, you're doing great work. So what needs does your soup kitchen and um, social enterprise still looking for and needs maybe you know out in my community of our listeners today we can get some help sure sure and um before we wrap up i do want to share um uh, a couple of things um one we uh, before i get to the needs um something i'd like to share with the listeners is um we have a youtube cooking channel um we mentioned, you know, we're a, a, a garden to table soup kitchen, and we take a lot of pride in cooking nutritional, delicious food, not just um, counting the number of meals served. Um, while, of course, that's an important part of our work, um, we want to make sure that those are really delicious and nutritious meals. Um, and so during COVID, we really couldn't um, connect with people the way that we normally do. Usually people come into our building and, you know, uh, obviously the pandemic um, limited us. Right. So we got a grant to produce some cooking videos um, to show people, um, you know, everybody was home, everybody was cooking meals on their own. And um, so to give give people in our community some ideas of some new recipes um, and also just to let them know the quality of food that is served in our soup kitchen and um, so I encourage people to check that out it's a YouTube cooking channel it's on YouTube and if they um, under the search look for Southington bread for life and Southington is spelled s-o-u-t-h-i-n-g-t-o-n Southington Bread for Life, you'll find um, eight cooking videos that we have up um, on, on that channel. And one of them that might interest you, Bhavani, is a vegan fudgy brownie um, mm. that was made by one of our volunteers. Um, she's a young woman um, who is a very talented chef. Um, she also happens to have Down syndrome and um, really has a passion for cooking and baking. And so she shared her recipe for um, vegan fudgy brownies featuring sweet potatoes. So um, your listeners wow. might want to check that out. Um, but, you know, and you, you asked the question about what needs um, do we have? And, you know, I, I think one of the things we'd like to um, get across to people are that there are needs everywhere. 
um, you know, we started by saying hunger has no zip code there. And, you know, Missy just, you know, illuminated something that we're so passionate about, but there's lots of different hungers in our world. And so, you know, we encourage people to um, give locally. You know, I think during this pandemic, food insecurity certainly came to people's front of minds. Um, it raised awareness that um, hunger does happen in every community. Um, so we, you know, encourage people to help your neighbors in need, um, help your local food pantry, your soup kitchen. Um, if you do have a social enterprise, you know, support that. Um, it is easy for us to, um, you know, just order online and have things come in from all over the world, but where you are able, um, you know, we encourage you to help support social enterprises that are giving opportunities to other people in need. Um, and if the people are um, inclined to help us specifically, um, we are very grateful for that. Um, we um, do have a website at southingtonbreadforlife.org. Um, we have a secure PayPal um, donation um, opportunity there so people can support our work specifically either for our soup kitchen or for our um, social enterprise the Southington Honey Company um, and we'd be very grateful um, you know for any support or if people are interested in learning more they can certainly connect with us and um, our website is the, the best way to reach out to us all our contact information is there um, as I mentioned, we're going through a revision, so um, it will be even be more updated, um, but that's at southingtonbreadforlife.org. Yeah, and I just wanna let people know that there is another organization called breadforlife.org, uh, which is not you. Correct. So you do wanna put in Southington Bread for Life. Yes, thank uh, you for that. When you're searching for that. Thank you. Yeah. So I just want to thank you both for the work you're doing. Um, your organization just sounds so awesome. The work you're doing is awesome. It's so close to my heart. You know, um, I know you know, um, you've met my sister and yes. she's told you about the feeding of the homeless that I do down here, working with the soup kitchen um, um, down here. And they, like you, really take an interest in each individual client and um, help them in so many other areas in their life besides just food. But mm -hmm. you're doing just such great work. And I want to thank you both so much for joining me this morning on the show and for the work you're doing. Well, thanks for having us on. It's been great um, to be able to share what we're doing and to have this conversation with you. Thank you, Bhavani, yeah, and for the work that you're doing down with everyone else. We all have to do our part wherever we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. And for everyone out there listening, thanks so much for joining you. And I'll see you all again in September. Have a great summer and bye for now. Yeah,